And we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm so excited for today's show because we're talking about one of my very favorite technologies um, called Webpack. I love Webpack so much, and I'm so excited to have some really top-of-the-line uh, subject matter experts uh, with us today. Um, so before I introduce all of our guests um, and our panel, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and give a shout-out to the sponsors that make this show possible. So we'll start out with Egghead.io. They're our premier sponsor, and they have a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and Webpack. And guess what? I have a Webpack cookbook coming up soon, and I'm super excited about it. It's all Webpack 2. So check, uh, yeah, stay tuned to check uh, that out later. And then uh, Frontend Masters is a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, Asynchronous and Functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics, including Webpack in August. I'm going to be out there doing a workshop, so check that out also. Uh, and then TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before your customers notice them. And with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to actually fix them. Check them out. Start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And SparkPost is an email is email delivery built for developers. Build something awesome with their Node.js library or SMTP relay. Start sending 100,000 emails free with SparkPost at sparkpost.com slash JSAir. And WebStorm. WebStorm is a powerful JavaScript IDE. It makes developers more productive with its super intelligent code assistance for JavaScript, Node, Angular, and React, and integration with lots of different tools. Check the, uh, or learn more at jetbrains.com slash WebStorm. Sweet. Uh, as a reminder to our people watching live, you can ask questions. Um, of our panel and our guests uh, on Twitter with the hashtag JSAirQuestion. And we will answer those questions during or at the end of the show. And uh, yeah, general announcements. This is a weekly show, but we don't have next week's show nailed down. And so, um, yeah, I'm like 99% positive it will not be canceled. I'll definitely be here, so don't worry about that. Um, uh, it will be awesome, I promise. Um, and then as always, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus to keep up with the latest. And yeah, that's it for our announcements. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, for our panel today, we have Pam Sully. Hi. And I am your host, Kent C. Dodds. And for our guests, super, super excited. Um, I'm, I'm going to probably ruin lots of these names, but we're going to give it a shot. So Yuho Vepsalanen. <laughs> Well, close enough. <laughs> I even got it like really solid right before the show. Yeah, um, and uh, Johannes Ewald. Hi. And Sean Larkin. Hey. I should probably say Sean T. Larkin uh, because that's what sure. it is here on the site, but you know. <laughs> and uh, Tobias uh, Kopers. Hi. And for those not familiar with Webpack, Tobias is the reason that we're all here. He created Webpack. And uh, yeah, so we're super excited to have him and the rest of the uh, main contributors here as well. So before we uh, get into our subject, I think it'd be great to get an intro to each one of you. Uh, so you all, um, man, I, I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Uh, <laughs> but could you go first and just give us like a, a couple second introduction to yourself and maybe pronounce your name correctly for us. 
Yeah, yes. so it's Juho website. But uh, anyway, so I started this uh, crazy project, Survive.js, a year ago. So basically, I started writing a book about Webpack, and then I ended up writing about React 2. And at the moment, I have like two, two books. And the best thing is, of course, that most of the content is for free. So basically, I'm, I'm doing my best to kind of develop uh, content around, around Webpack and React at the moment. Very cool. Thank you for that. Uh, Johannes? Hi, I'm Johannes, JavaScript developer. Uh, I also do lots of open source and yeah, Webpack contributor. And I founded a company with my friends, and we do a lot of client work and also teaching at the local university. And we also do the Node School in Munich. Very cool. Teaching is near and dear to my heart, so awesome. Um, Sean. Hey, guys. Uh, I am a UX developer at Mutual of Omaha in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, rep in Silicon Prairie. Um, I am unofficially the Angular ambassador to Webpack. <laughs> and uh, I've been working on it for about six or seven months. I love what it does. I love what it's brought to the table for everybody. Um, and can't wait to see what it's in the future. I'm also on the Angular CLI core team. Very cool. Thank you. Uh, and Tobias. Yes, I'm Tobias Kopers, and um, yeah, I'm the core contributor for, of Webpack and since 2011. And uh, yes, in my work, I don't do much very uh, JavaScript related, only a few things. And <laughs> so it's a bit funny that I do Webpack as my hobby, so it's cool. <laughs> wow, that's amazing uh, that like you have built this thing that the like tons and tons of webpack or, or of JavaScript developers use and uh, you actually don't do a whole lot of, uh, of JavaScript on your day job yes no. <laughs> that's fun <laughs> yeah. cool I think uh, to kick off our conversation let's go ahead and, and just get a baseline of uh, what webpack is so uh, maybe Tobias I think you'd probably be the good one to to answer that what is webpack Ooh, difficult question. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it started as a JavaScript bundler, but um, today it's a bit more. It's a modal bundler, so you can put anything front-end related or, yeah, let's say front-end related stuff and process it with a dependency tree and get some assets out of this um, webpack. And, uh, yeah, that's what it does. I think. Anybody else have uh, like anything else they'd like to say about what Webpack is? Um, Live. <laughs> I, um, uh, I I think it it translates or, or the the main concept is that um, everything is a module, not only JavaScript, uh, also CSS and HTML. So uh, as long as you have some syntax that is uh, where you can reference other stuff, then it's a module. And um, I think Webpack um, was the first, or is probably the only uh, tool that uh, emphasizes this concept. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it, it adds a lot of simplicity when you can just think of everything as modules. Yeah, I actually see Webpack as a graph evolution tool. So you take a, a dependency graph and turn it into something else. So that's what it essentially does. So it, it takes something 
really complicated and turns it into something else. So it's transformation tool. Yeah, I like how like when when I started using Webpack, it was like all of the the implicitness of my dependencies is now totally gone because I can make every dependency totally explicit. Um, it, like e even CSS and HTML, uh, like everything could be explicitly related um, and and tracked. And I, I like that that opened a whole new world of possibilities and and uh, easier uh, maintainability story for me. Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, really important that you have explicit dependencies um, when you're doing some. Uh, so when you're doing a PHP, for example, or any other um, templating language, you always have some global space where um, some variables are around. You don't know if they are included or not. And um, when you uh, import stuff explicitly, you you know that um, everything that that is in the file you have and and not anything else. And uh, I think that that is cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, you have to do it when you want to use Webpack, so. <laughs> not only that, Webpack made it really easy for people to want to bring features like ES6 and um, uh, other preprocessors with, with a lot of ease um, to the current browser. Um, Webpack is a module bundler first, but it emulates a module loader. And what's so huge about that is that not only is it trying to point towards um, the efficiency of being able to only download one or two scripts, uh, but it also uses a module loading style. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tobias, but uh, I mean, the way that uh, if you look inside of you know, the generated content is that it's performing Webpack requires, and so um, it, it kind of brings to the table a lot of really great uh, design patterns that we're going to use in the future, like module loading. Cool. Uh, so uh, I'd like to get an idea of where Webpack came from. Like, why did why did we need Webpack? Um, uh, Tobias, why did you get started creating um, this module bund bundler? Yes, um, yeah, I started because of I needed uh, I want to have code splitting, and nobody uh, I worked with uh, GWT before. It's a Java to JavaScript translator from Google, and there was a Cool feature, also named code splitting, and it's no other bundler had it at this time, and so I initially started a pull request to modules webmake from MidiCode or so, um, and uh, yeah, it's developed as their own project, and yeah, it's got a few attraction by um, Instagram, and so it's got popular, and yeah, yeah. That's come from. It's interesting to know that you know we use uh, some of our teams use Google Web Toolkit also, or we call it GWT, and uh, we kind of joke because it's a little bit of an older tool and it's kind of a pain to use. But the fact that you know Webpack, what it is today, is inspired by such a pain uh, tool is really cool and kind of ironic to us. Yeah, but the one feature is cool. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know though, uh, Sean. I actually kind of want to ask you about that because I mean. In terms of like knowing, kind of knowing a little bit of the reputation of Google Web Toolkit, it also is like fairly ubiquitous. Is kind of that thing of like, as much as you don't like it, like things become ubiquitous for a reason. Um, mm -hmm. Usually because you know I don't know maybe they're useful. Um, 
So, uh, you know, taking like building off of something that was maybe you didn't like it, but it was actually useful, and it's been inspired by that to saying something that now people actually like is really cool. Exactly. I mean, it's like the the biggest irony ever, and we always joke about it in the office. Cool. So, um, I I I'm just like totally floored by the um, uh, the power of Webpack. I remember when I started using Webpack, I was just like. I feel like there's nothing that this tool cannot do. Um, and it was just like every single time I had a question, like, can I do this with Webpack? The answer was always yes. It was just a matter of, like, how do I do that? Um, and so I, I'm just really curious, uh, what what was, like, the design going into this that, that made this tool so powerful and flexible? Like, what, what other things kind of in, inspired the... Um, the API or, or like it, it's just so amazing to me that you can do so much with you know a hundred or two hundred lines of, of a JavaScript objects. Uh, yeah, it's bit uh, Webpack config is a bit of a declarative style, and it's I think that's, that's what makes it powerful. And there are many hooks for plugins, so you can do you can hook into the into the complete process and uh, if you yeah, if you uh, can, can't do something, you can write a plugin for it, and that's, I think, what makes it possible. And, yeah, your use cases are often common, and uh, many, some people may already written a plugin for it, so, yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's more a kind of plugin system webpack, and um, the core, everything is a plugin, and so it's very modular, and, I think that's what makes it powerful. So, is there any uh, like anything that Webpack can't do? Like on on that thread of of like, can um, it build a spaceship? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> are, are we shipping Webpack to space yet? <laughs> yeah, like it was just for me. It was always like, oh, I I need to do this. We I I just remember. So back in the day, I was doing a lot of Angular. And I wanted to like have this really crazy interesting structure in my uh, folder structure. I wanted to be able to, I, I had a folder that, that I wanted to be able to require something and have it like actually look up two directories up um, above and, and start the re require res resolution like two directories up instead. It was like this crazy weird thing that I would not recommend doing. But I was shocked when I asked you to be a, this was like a year ago, I was like, I want to do this weird thing. And you're like, yeah, you probably wouldn't want to do that, but this is how you do it in like three lines of plugin, and it was just like shocking to me. So, what what are some cases where Webpack doesn't really solve problems? Like, where are some uh, areas where Webpack kind of falls over? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of the HTML uh, HTML handling. It's bit not not it's not so cool. So you you always have to start with the endpoint with a JavaScript file, and you can't start with a CSS file. You can't start with a HTML file, and that's a bit of a limitation. Um, yeah, but there's a cool plugin which generates the HTML, but um, it's not so uh, integrated the, the HTML support for Webpack. It's, you can you can create modules with uh, insert HTML into the uh, bundle, but not you cannot turn it around. So it's, it's a bit a, a bit of a limitation, I think. And the CSS uh, 
handling it's not so cool with the extract text plugin. I don't like it very much. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's uh, currently one problem with the with the design or the API, the internal API that. Um, for every loader has to parse the source code, build an AST, and do the transformation. And the next loader has to do that as well. So, for instance, when you uh, when you um, compile SAS, then you uh, and you you're using the auto prefixer, then you the post CSS will again parse the CSS and apply the auto auto prefixing. And then the CSS loader, which uses PostCSS uh, as a parser too, uh, parses the CSS again. So uh, I think um, it would be, be better to to pass AST around ASTs around uh, instead of source code. So yeah. So I want to um, just back up to make sure we didn't lose listeners there. That AST is abstract and syntax tree, uh, and it's it's a it's a structure, like, and you know, if I get this wrong, please definitely help me out. Um, but it's a way of understanding the structure of the program. So you can, so you're saying, suggesting that, because um, this, this is, you know, it's building this this structure that's understanding the program over and over again. And if we pass it around instead of rewriting it or you know recalculating it, that you think it, do you think it would be faster, just you know, speed wise? Uh, yeah. I, I would think so. I think that parsing makes a lot of um, lot of performance. I'm not sure if Tobias uh, <laughs> says this uh, too, but um, I think uh, it would be faster. But I'm not sure. Um, I think um, I'm not sure if that's uh, the responsibility of Webpack. Maybe um, maybe there there uh, is a boundary where you uh, should um, use PostCSS plugins and uh, yeah. I don't know if, if hmm. I, I actually, actually yeah. that's that's really interesting to me. I think this would do, uh, totally be possible with the current uh, Webpack like um, uh, API. Like you would simply have a uh, the, your first loader parses it into an AST and passes that on to the next loader that consumes an AST, modifies mm -hmm. it, and then passes that on to another loader. Yeah. And then finally, the last loader generates the code. Um, and so, like, it would totally be possible with the current loader implementation. I'd really love to see somebody implement that. That'd be really interesting. There's a yeah, lot I to do. It has been implemented for PostCSS, huh? not in the current PostCSS, but somebody has written a loader which does exactly this. It's parsed and uh, transfers the AST. So I can look it up. Cool. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> awesome to get that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, as long as it handles like loaders that emit new files into, uh, you know, into the AST, yeah. I think, I think that's, that's legit. Yeah, I think that that would be the key thing too. Of you know, in terms of like why isn't isn't it that way already? Is like well, these things are probably updating the AST, so they should return a new AST that that passes to the next loader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think one problem is also that um, ASTs may be different uh, depending on the actual tool. But I think there is an um, effort currently to um, to make the ASTs more um, uh, universal. Yeah, comfortable. Yeah, universal, 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 universal. Like standard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very cool. So uh, one other thing that I, I hear a lot as a you know somebody who does a lot of Webpack teaching and training 
um, people often complain about the documentation. Um, and Webpack being such a huge project, there's a lot to document. Um, what are some things that people can do to help with the documentation process? Like maybe somebody could explain how uh, the like actually the documentation is actually pretty simple to update, um, and we just kind of need people to help. So what are what are some areas uh, where people can help, and how can they get involved in that? Um, <laughs> I, I think the the, the first thing is to um, correct uh, spelling issues and typos and, and improve the, the, uh, the language because uh, Tobias is not a native speaker so um, I think native speakers could, um, could improve the, the docs and I think it's really easy because you just have to uh, click the edit button and you don't have to, it doesn't take much time so you can do that in probably 10 minutes so I think that's, uh, that's an easy Easy starting point. <laughs> and if I, you correct me if I'm wrong, but it's actually just the documentation is driven off of a wiki, right? It's not like a, a repo. Well, technically, I guess a GitHub wiki is a repo, but like it's it's not really all this complex. You can do it all in your browser. You just need a GitHub account, and yeah. uh, and you can commit directly to it, right? Yeah. So it's pretty easy. Next person I hear complaining about documentation, I'm just gonna be like, <laughs> well, I mean, there's an edit button right there. No, I but it, it. Yeah, I think it's the the easiest way to to edit the documentation. I've never seen another uh, website that's so easy to edit. <laughs> yeah, so I I think uh, that's something that we should all learn is to uh, give back once we learn. I like I can understand that it can be frustrating when people are getting started and stuff. They they would like better documentation, but once I I should probably give back some of the things that I've learned about some of these different APIs and, and contribute back to the documentation. Maybe I'll do that. Um, so, cool, yeah. Uh, actually, on that note of learning Webpack, what are some of the best ways uh, for people to get started, um, like, learning Webpack? And, and like, often, actually, um, I should back up, often people will um, migrate to Webpack. And, like, you generally, well, I. I know that some people have like little pet projects where they start on Webpack just to learn how it works, but like lots of the time you have a giant w project that's using Require.js or um, you know Browserify or something, and you want to migrate it to Webpack. So, um, w what are some good resources for people to learn how to do something like that? I think there there are guides on the website when you're coming from um, Require.js, for instance. But uh, I think the main uh, the main thing is that you should not um, try to achieve everything uh, at the beginning. So, um, and there are so many questions on Stack Overflow asking, um, how can I get HMR uh, working? And um, I think HMR is is nice, but it's not the first. Uh, it should not be the first goal. So, um, you should start uh, very basic. And What's I think HMR in this case. A hot module replacement, so uh, you don't have to to reload the browser, and um, it can be really tricky <laughs> because uh, there have to have to be some parts. So uh, you need a WebSocket connection, and so it's. I think it's it's rather complicated, and people uh, get very get frustrated very fast, uh, very soon. But um, I think they should start just. Uh, to uh, migrate to Webpack and then add these features. And I think 
this uh, is pretty easy because Webpack understands uh, AMD uh, out of the box. So um, so you maybe you only have to translate the uh, required JS mappings you've done. So yeah. Uh, this is actually something I have tried to do with my book effort. So basically, what I did is to kind of split it up into more bits. You can understand. So you have something about HMR, something about lawyers, and so on. So you get these small pieces. Once you understand the pieces, you understand the whole better. So I think you have to kind of have a different different levels of understanding in Webpack because it's 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 alien. I mean, what I mean is that when you find Webpack, it it looks completely different than the old tools all the other tools, so you have to pick up the concepts that uh, Webpack uses, and once you understand how loads work, how plugins work, and how this and that works, then it gets a lot easier to handle. Yeah, I think that that is a really good point, that it's definitely, I, I'm glad we talked about kind of the conceptual stuff right at the beginning, because I think when people are trying to understand Webpack, it's the, um, you know, it's part of the frustration of being the be a beginner at something, that, you know, like, you get on a skateboard and then you're like, okay, how do I like flip upside down? Um, but like, you really should not do that on day one. It's a really, really bad idea um, for skateboarding, at least. Luckily, you probably won't injure yourself using Webpack. Um, so yeah, uh, but um, I think that's yeah. I mean, like hot module, like HMR to use the acronym, but like hot module reloading is, is definitely like one of the really cool things. And I know people want to get to it quickly, but if you don't understand what's going on, then you're going to have a hard time. Yeah, I think the best way when I was learning Webpack was that uh, I think I started off with, I think it was a React Webpack cookbook by Christian Alfayani, I think. Um, but he okay. starts off step by step from like the simplest Webpack configuration, literally entry and output. See yeah, that's actually, does. yeah, just to continue with that, that's actually what I'm doing right now. So I took the cookbook and I, I developed the content a lot for So we have the original cookbook, but it's in a kind of renewed format. So it's it's kind of, it has grown a lot since we did it a couple of, uh, a year ago or so, so. Well, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. So I, I think it would be valuable. Uh, we, um, Pam, you mentioned that we kind of, it was good that we started with some of the fundamental concepts, but I think we could probably do a little bit better job. So there are two, um, like, main concepts that I think people really need to grasp other than obviously like the entry which is like this you know the main method of your application right and then the um, you know the output where where the bundle is going to go but uh, yeah two main concepts that I think are really important for people to understand are loaders and plugins uh, can we talk about loaders and plugins uh, we'll start with loaders um, what's the purpose of a loader <laughs> um. A loader is uh, it's basically basically a, a function that gets an input and uh, returns uh, an output, and I think most lo loaders should uh, return it asynchronous. Um, that's the uh, the most yeah that's the way to do now, and um, it's not uh, you can return anything, but uh, they have to be chained in the right order. So. Um, it works a little bit like piping uh, values, so. Yeah, so you, like, in a practical use case, uh, this would be something like uh, transpiling JavaScript, and so you'd have a, a Babel loader um, where, like, in goes your source code and out goes the transpiled JavaScript, or a, another really good example is CSS, so if, 
if you're transpiling or or you're uh, uh, pre-processing with less, for example, that would go through the less loader, and then it goes through the CSS loader, uh, which actually, if I understand the CSS loader correctly, it actually just uh, takes the CSS and makes it a string module, and then that uh, goes into the style loader, which is responsible for actually injecting that into the DOM. And so each each one of these things plays a, a specific role and just pipes it through the next loader. Um, yes. This this is on the module level, right? It's uh, this isn't like the whole bundle. Loaders are dealing with just modules. Is that all right? Yeah, and I um, I think the the main benefit is uh, that they all um, translate into a JavaScript module somewhere. So the CSS loader turns C, uh, a string into a, a JavaScript module, a, a module that just returns a string. And by that, you can um, you can replace uh, all the references to other images or fonts with a, a usual require statement. So um, uh, Webpack itself does not understand CSS or any other language. It just uh, recognizes these require statement statements. And uh, yeah, so somewhere in the chain you have uh, you have to create a, a JavaScript module, a common JS module. Cool. So I, uh, Sean, did you have something you wanted to add? No, I was just going to say like even uh, you guys talked about a lot of good examples that maybe do more complex stuff, but a loader in Webpack simply just takes a file and it returns a new version of that file, just edited. That's all a loader is in its simplest form. Um, I think sometimes, like, let's say if you just wanted to add, like, a comment or something on every single one of your files with a certain extension, you can do that just by writing a custom loader. I actually, it's interesting that you do that, uh, you say that. Um, before I started transpiling with uh, 6 to 5 or, or Babel, um, I wrote a loader to automatically add use strict at the top of all my modules. Um, and... I wish that I just like started using six to five because that was a total waste of time. But uh, uh, yeah, it was actually really easy to do. Um, and like, there are some things you can do with caching and, and different things to make it um, more performant and stuff. But yeah, like basically, you have a file that exports a uh, like it's it's a module that exports a function, and then you tell Webpack to use that as your loader. It's like yeah, that's basically all it is. So writing loaders are no longer scary for people. Great, so let's talk about uh, plugins then. What's the purpose of a plugin? Tobias, you should answer that. Uh, or you, you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the HTML Webpack plugin is the best example. Because, I mean, the problem is that you get some, some output out of Webpack. But, of course, it's useful if you get HTML too. So, HTML Webpack plugin, it hooks into the Webpack uh, lifecycle. Or, or it, kind of, it detects that, all right, everything is done. And we have this and that asset. And what it does, it generates an HTML. And it writes the script tags and everything for you. So that's like one good example of what you can do with the plugin. So uh, maybe, Tobias, you can talk more uh, at a, like an architectural level. What's the purpose of plugins? Like, uh, yeah, when, when would I need a plugin? What, does, uh, what do plugins normally deal with? What, what do they have available to them? Yeah, um, plugins deal with everything that Lauder doesn't. Um, <laughs> it's more if you want to hook into the whole compilation process or after or before, or if you if you don't, 
Use a loader if you want to do a transformation of a module or multiple models, modules. But if you want to change the chunking, change where modules are in the chunk tree or something like this, you need to use a plugin. So everything what's related to the compilation process, process is um, the job of plugins. Yeah. I would tell sometimes loaders allow you to work with compilations, which are like the compiler's finished result from a loader um, in layman's terms. Uh, so it gives you access to the entire lifecycle hooks of the compiler, and not only the compiler, but the um, the compilation itself, or uh, even lower level things. It, it's a complete API to what Webpack does uh, in terms of compiling. And not only that, but I mean, it's all built into the source code as well. Like half of the libraries are plugins themselves that you know implement the exact same. Uh, I guess you could say parent class called Tappable that uh, Tobias mm. created. Uh, cool. Uh, sorry, did you have something, Tobias, that you wanted to no, say? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, I, we mentioned uh, hot module reloading, and it's a feature that, like, the, this is one of those features that demos really well and people get really excited about. Um, even even if it's not entirely practical for everyone's use case, it's still like, oh wow, that's awesome. Um, so I I think it, people would be interested to hear about hot module reloading and uh, a little bit of how that works and and what role that plays in in uh, the developer workflow. Does anybody you want to talk about HMR? Yeah, I talk about it. And uh, so HMR is um. Like an opt-in feature of Webpack, where models can, modules can define how uh, they want to behave if there is a new version of of the module. So it's an opt-in. So you, if you don't touch anything of HMR, uh, you uh, nothing happens. But um, if you enable it, uh, Webpack uh, generates a, so a diff between your old bundle and your new bundle, and it um, generates um, assets for this. So, so it's hot module update dot js, and um, the hot module runtime uh, then loads or requests this. There is a manifest which chunk changed, and then it downloads the chunks, the diffs of the chunks where which changed, and then um, looks into the module tree, it's a one-time module tree, um, um, how this update can be handled. So um, if a module uh, has accepted itself, it's just replaced, and if it's not uh, accepted itself, so the, the update or the, the change bubbles up the, 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 the one-time module tree. and um, Finally, some some module need to accept it, and there is a, is a handler which is called, and then the whole tree uh, which is affected by the, by the update is replaced and injected at the place where the accept handler is called. So that's basically this whole thing. The, the, the cool thing is it's it's work it's it integrates very nicely with CodeSpring, so. Even the diff of the hot module replacement uh, is code splitted, 
So it's uh, you get a, a diff for every chunk and only need to download uh, if 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 you haven't accessed the part of the application where the update happened, you don't have to uh, download the hot update chunks for this part. So it's very cool. I think uh, the you have um, when you want to uh, update a module, you have to be sure that there weren't side effects. So um, for instance, um, replacing styles is very easy because styles have no side effects. You can uh, remove the style node from the DOM tree and add the new style node, and uh, the other part of the, the application uh, is not affected by this change. But if you have any side effects, like um, adding event listeners uh, or um, other stuff, then it will not work so, so easy because you have to remove these side effects when you want to replace the code. And that's why, for instance, uh, functional programming is a really great fit because there you program little functions that don't have side effects, and you can easily replace these functions. Yeah, actually, uh, there's it's very easy to implement the hot module XMR interface for Redux. So it's a couple of lines of code; it works. So you can replace Redux's and and uh, actually a couple of days ago, I saw an implementation for Mobex. Mobex is something. Some alternative to Redux, but I mean, you can implement the interface yourself. But of course, it's very, very hard if you have side effects. I mean, it's not practical then. But for simple systems like this, of of course, it works. Yeah, because like the alternative being your uh, pretty much your entire like the top level module needs to reload everything, and and then you lose all state and everything is gone. It's just like refreshing the browser at that point. Um, and, and I think this is one of the things that motivated um, Dan to create Redux uh, because he thought, okay, I, I need to be able to do hot module reloading, but I don't want my state to go away, and so I, I need to separate my state and my UI so I can update each one of these individually and, uh, and get hot module reloading on those. Um, just kind of an interesting concept altogether that we could talk at length for, I think. But um, I think... It, um, it would be good to move on to uh, another feature of, uh, of Webpack, and that is actually Juan um, asked this on Twitter. Uh, he wanted to know about tree shaking, and so tree shaking is like I think it's started to become a buzzword, um, but it really is kind of an interesting feature. Um, does anybody want to uh, start the chat about tree shaking? So this is tree shaking is dead code elimination, right? I had to look this up because you can also call it dead code elimination. Um, yeah, I guess you know, the, my understanding is that we have ES6 model definition, and ES6 model definition is it's possible to analyze statically. So you can take a look at the files and tell that the, all right, we are we are using all, all of these parts, and based on that information, you can tell that we are not using this and that. So you can eliminate. So you save the tree and throw the code away you don't actually use, and that's it. So, so it, it's all. Oh. Yeah, sorry. I mean, it's based on, on the fact that we can take a peek at the code and tell what parts we are using and what parts we are not using. Yeah, so from, from my understanding, basically, and in, like in investigating Webpack 2, because Webpack 2 actually has this functionality built in, um, and I, I think the first major bundler that I saw that you um, popularized tree shaking was Rollup. It was really interesting concept. Um, I, I'm not sure whether they created the idea or not, but... Um, so, well, that's actually, I, I mean, and I hope that this isn't 
don't know. It's one of these things like maybe no one has this familiarity and it'll just this question will die. But um, like this sounds like what the clo like the Google Closure compiler has been doing. And so is this a big deal because uh, you know because this is becoming part of like it's actually because it's part of the ES6 module standard that it's almost it's becoming like instead of having a compiler do all the work it's actually the language itself allows you to do this. I think that that is that, do you all think that that's what the big deal is? Because that sounds to me like that's what the big deal is. Yeah, I think uh, that code elimination is um, is not so effective uh, because um, it can only remove the code that is, um, where the tool is certain that uh, it is not run and in JavaScript uh, since the, the uh, language is so dynamic, uh, you can't be certain that uh, a specific part is not executed. But um, with the ES2015 modules, um, you can analyze that by reading the source code. So um, they remove this. Uh, they, as, as, for instance, common JS modules are very dynamic by nature, and you you can't know if. Um, if a specific uh, export um, is used or not, but with ES2015 modules, you can know. So um, I think right. this feature is only possible because uh, of the specification. Yeah, on top of that, the Google Closure compiler can do dead code elimination, but um, it requires that you use advanced mode. Um, and to do that, it needs JS doc annotations to help provide that information, such as, mm -hmm. like, right. Uh, let's say it's dependencies. Um, I think you can even do typing. Uh, like for example, right now TypeScript is working on a T-Sickle, which kind of automatically creates all this documentation as it transpiles back, so that it can use Google Closure Compiler in the same way. Very interesting. I, I think we should probably make the distinction between dead code elimination and tree shaking, though, because they are two different things. So. It, uh, Tobias, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but here's my understanding of how things work in Webpack 2. So uh, Webpack 2 now understands the ES6 module specification, and so your imports, exports, and, and things. And because it has a, a whole knowledge of your entire uh, dependency tree, it can track all the dependencies, all the imports, all the exports, and know which of the exports are not being used. And so all that it does is, uh, like, when, when it um, transpiles all of your import statements, because obviously those uh, will not run in the browser, Webpack resolves those. But when it, when it um, transpiles those, uh, it will exclude any exports um, from that transpilation process that are not um, being used elsewhere. So the, the code all still lives inside of that module, but, uh, like, the actual... Um, uh, like the actual export uh, piece does not, um, and so that way, like if, if that code is being used within that module, it's still like it's it's still in use, and so uglification isn't going to come in dead code to eliminate it. But kind of getting ahead of myself. So anyway, once once it's not um, once that's all done, like even in development mode, if you're not like minifying your stuff, like you probably shouldn't be doing that in development mode. You're still going to be loading all of those all that code. You're not like eliminating any code in development. It's when um, uglify.js comes in and uh, checks for references that that code is eliminated using dead code elimination because it'll see, okay, so not only is this, like, this, this code is defined, this function's defined, but it's not being used anywhere in this file, so I can remove it. So they're, like, they're totally separate idea, like, um, 
uh, processes and they know nothing about each other. It's just the fact that Webpack sets things up so that it's not being used anymore um, in the, the transpiled code. And then Uglify.js is like, oh, this isn't being used. I can get rid of it. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. It's like a, a Webpack um, tree shaking makes um, um, translates unused modules into test code. Yeah, that's a really better way to say that. <laughs> that's nice. That's really good. And then also, um, I wanted to say kind of like, I mean, this is the obvious thing to think of, but like it's tree shaking because it's like you're shaking the abstract syntax tree and like nodes that aren't tied to any other nodes get shaken out. So that if that helps people conceptualize it. Yeah, I can give you a simple example of dead code elimination. So suppose we have like if statement that evaluates as false. So it's clear that it's going to be false. So of course, Uglify can tell that, all right, let's drop this if. And that's actually a technique you can use with Webpack is that you have defined plugin and you can set the environment. So let's say we have, we have like certain statements active during production and certain statements active during development. So you can do this just by using that fact that uh, we can replace the day contents within the if statements. So then we know what to eliminate and so on. Uh, yeah, and like tools like, uh, or, or libraries like React use this all the time. They have process ENV, node ENV, or whatever, um, and and like leverage this dead code elimination. And like I do this all the time. It's really, really useful. Um, so I, I feel like there was something else I wanted to uh, say about tree shaking, but uh, we're, we actually are coming pretty close on our time. We do have another question on Twitter that I'd like to get to. Um, and the question is about Webpack 2. What kind of speed improvements will we see from Webpack 2? Ed Moore wants to know. Currently, there isn't much speed improvement. It, um, I think uh, small improvements, but not nothing architecturally better. But maybe I, I had the idea to cache the, the chunk tree, but that's not implemented yet. So. You, that's a, 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 if you have many, many modules, it's, it's, it's a bit problematic because we cache the loader results, we cache the modules, but we still um, um, build up the, the module tree, build up the chunk tree, and translate the module tree into the chunk tree and optimize the chunk tree. And this part could be cached, um, but it's currently not. So that's a point for Webpack 2, which should be implemented in future. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I kind of wanted to, to ask about that. So um, we, uh, speaking specifically about Webpack 2, um, what, what are some of the other things that we can look forward to in Webpack 2? I think we should probably link to the gist that you created. Yes, I, I added it to, to my link part um, on, the, on, the, on the doc. Um, but it's... It's the resolving configuration changed and the resolving um, and plugin system changed a lot, so it's m much more flexible. And uh, yes, EquaScript uh, uh, um, to, to, to um, yeah ES6 modules, and um, I plan to force uh, or to to uh, persuade every mod um, loader author to to emit. ECMAScript 6 code, so it's ECMAScript 6 modules, so we can leverage tree shaking for all the loader generated stuff. E example, um, CSS, you can theoretically, you can um, 
um, tree shake XMAX, uh, CSS. Um, if yeah, you you need to uh, yeah, uh, um, the loader emit um, uh, emit a JavaScript module, and if the JavaScript module is six use XMAX six modules, um, we can tree shake it and. We need a little API for this, um, so we can remove the, the unused CSS rules from the doc document, but um, that's something in the pipeline. So, 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 um, but uh, I think many loaders can uh, can uh, benefit from the from the tree shaking if they emit Xmasip uh, six six modules. But yeah, yeah. So that's a, a point. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, um, did you mention also the um, API to um, code splitting also changed? Um, and so yeah. now you can. It's the ICMAS sub 6 system.import um, syntax, but it's it's nearly identical to the ES ensure or require, uh, MT require. With a, with a little different, you can uh, dynamic fragments in the script uh, in the system import translate into many chunks. So it's easier to um, create um, split your if you have many routes in, into an application. You can do, use a dynamic uh, um, system dot import, and this will automatically translate to many chunks. So it's a bit a bit better. <laughs> Yeah, and it's crazy easy to use. I, I have a lesson coming up on it, and like you, you, you won't believe it. And the other cool thing, if I recall correctly, is now you can um, you can add a handler for when there's a failure to load a module, yeah. which is pretty handy. Um, this was a requested feature for require ensure, but there's uh, the spec for require ensure, and there is no handler for uh, catching the exception. But um, the promise IP is much easier to make this risk. Is this feature the reason why uh, the Webpack runtime now requires a promise polyfill? Yeah. <laughs> so but, uh, yeah. if I'm not using if I'm not using code splitting, do I need to polyfill promises still? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, that's good to know. Good to know. <laughs> I'll you should to... use code splitting. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so easy to do, right? It's, it's mind-blowing how easy it is, actually. Um, but uh, no, that's good to know. i got to go update a lesson real quick. <laughs> just to add that little note. Um, cool. So I, we are, we've just got a couple minutes left, um, and I wanted to ask two questions. Uh, Two quick questions. One of them is, where do you need help, and how can people get involved in helping the project? Yeah, the best idea is to start with writing own loaders, or um, uh, this part of the uh, to contribute at loader at, um, level. It's, it's easy and it's good way to start, and uh, the documentation, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think. Yeah, you can do pull requests to 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 the, the core, but it's pretty difficult and it's it's a bit big. The, the, um, but it's good tested. So um, if you if you the test pass, it's a good chance that the real pull request is correct. Cool. On top of that, you can contribute examples uh, uh, or adding tests to the test library will help. You know. 
Tobias and others make sure that we're you know covering all the bases or edge cases that people want to use Webpack for. So if anything, you you've come up with a crazy setup that you know works, and you want to maybe ensure its success in the future for changes. Uh, consider adding it as a test or putting a pull request in for a test and explaining why. And that's something that will really be beneficial to us. Oh, that's a great tip. I, I think any library. Um, could and should do that same thing, and they would all appreciate it, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, I would great. like to mention one thing. I mean, we have, I mean, the Webpack, it's, let's say, it's not the easiest tool to use. So we have this library or tool known as Webpack Validator. So I think it's it's awesome because it, it validates your configuration. So if you make a mistake, it will let you know. And we have these uh, rules, I mean, let's say good practice or best practices to kind of spot certain things. So I think it's it's a tool worth knowing knowing about, and maybe you can even contribute to it because it kind of it sits on top of Webpack and makes makes it easier to use. So I kind of recommend that tool. Yeah, I um that's definitely one of my picks. Webpack validator is is awesome, and Sean just added in the chat. It's like Webpack lint, um, but it, what's cool about it is it's not just uh, static analysis because Webpack um. Uh, configs are like runtime generated, um, and so yeah, it's a runtime linter. Um, cool. My last question. Um, oh no, we just lost Tobias. Oh, sad. Well, my last question probably isn't gonna apply anymore. Oh, there he is. He's back. <laughs> Tobias, are you still with us? No, he lost the tab. <laughs> he wanted to escape. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm not gonna answer this last question. <laughs> Uh, Tobias, I, I did have one other question. So I'm just so in, impressed by like the uh, amount of engineering that has gone into this Webpack tool and how much time you spend on uh, Webpack and the community around it. And so I want to ask, um, how do you find the time to work on Webpack? I, I, I feel like there are a lot of people who listen to the show who are really interested in contributing to open source and, and working on you know stuff on their free time. And I feel like you could give us... Uh, um, like uh, some good pro tips um, about that. About finding time for open source, yeah. Uh, yes, I, it's, uh, if you do a, a hour a day, it's 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 often enough. So I, I, I um, yeah, every two days I, I invest one hour to answer the issues, and it's mo mostly enough. To clean up the basic parts, and if you have, sometimes there's a time slot in, at the weekend and uh, for a bigger feature, but it's 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 difficult. <laughs> so it's 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 best to to have your your work company to um, found your project or uh, give your time to um, work on open source projects or so, something like this. Does your company know that you work that you're the Webpack uh, founder? Yeah. <laughs> do, do they know about Webpack? <laughs> just curious. Uh, do we have tips from any of the other uh, guests or panel? Like, um, I feel like this is a, a good opportunity. We all um, have open source experience here. Um, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I, I'm currently I'm I'm a bit frustrated uh, <laughs> because um, I have some open source projects and uh, when they get popular it's it's cool but um, um, 
I used to have a lot of time to create new projects, but now I have a lot of issues and pull requests. And when there are pull requests, there are, there were there were other people who uh, invested time for it. So um, I feel the the <laughs> urge to um, review that and um, give feedback. And um, yeah, I would I would like to have some <laughs> productivity tips too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think uh, that um, somewhere when your project becomes popular, you have to f uh, to you have to invest into the um, process of getting new contributors because um, uh, when the project is big enough, you can't handle that all for yourself, especially not in your free time. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think it's uh, I'm just. Like go on top of that. It's really valuable to start early getting contributors to the project, um, and like be really open to people uh, contributing. and And if somebody files an issue, you don't have to fix it right away. You can you know show them how to fix it, even if it takes you know twice as long or four times as long to get that person to contribute instead of you just doing it. Um, you'll wind up with a contributor, and that um, that's really helpful. So we we are out of time, and we. Um, yeah, just have some uh, our tips and picks and uh, announcements to go through. So we'll just jump into those now, uh, unless there is something else that somebody wants to mention before we uh, jump into that. Is there any like last-minute things people want to talk about? Okay, uh, you can roll it into the tips and picks. Okay, let's roll okay. in. So um, yeah, we'll start out with uh, Pam. Why don't you go first? Sure. So uh, my tip for the week is uh, just rehashing what I said earlier that uh, especially like this was very true for me with learning about Webpack um, being frustrated that I couldn't like do cool tricks right away or you know just being overwhelmed by by like you know a completely different paradigm um, but having to take a step back and learn about why it does that uh, the basics and so just the tip is as hard as it is to focus on the basis sometimes they're necessary to get to the cool stuff uh, and then for my pick, I'm going to pick a, an article or a, a post from Axel Rashmeyer on Webpack and tree shaking. It's nice, it's concise. Uh, so if you found that part of the show interesting, you'll probably like the post. Awesome. Um, I'll go ahead and go next, and then we'll uh, let our guests go ahead. So for me, my first tip is uh, definitely self-serving. Um, I <laughs> my tip is for you to follow me or Egghead IO to know when my Webpack cookbook course comes out. Um, it's all going to be Webpack 2, and there's a ton of stuff. Um, and this, all of the guests actually have um, given me invaluable feedback on this course. Um, so it's going to be solid. I'm really excited about it. Um, and then also, I am doing a Front End Masters workshop in August. And so follow Front End Masters to know when to register for that. Uh, and then I have this link to a video uh, called uh, Migrating an App to ES6 with Webpack. This is a workshop that I did uh, last year at Midwest JS where um, like you can follow along and, and migrate uh, an application to uh, using Webpack. So if that's something you want to do, this could hopefully be helpful. And then my last tip is uh, try to find Babel plugins to do stuff you need before you use Webpack features because Babel is more ubiquitous and interops uh, with more tools. And so, like, as awesome as Webpack is, uh, it's just so much easier to use other tools um, if you're using more Babel features. Uh, one example I, I can think of off the top of my head is 
aliases. So Webpack supports this really cool concept of aliases. You can say require this thing, and then you can uh, just like say, whenever I say require this thing, I'm actually saying require this other thing. Um, and you can, there's a Babel plugin uh, that can do the same thing, and it basically like uh, translates your require statement into you know what it what it should be uh, for that alias, and it's actually super super nice. I should I'll, I'll add a link to that Babel plugin. Um, but uh, yeah, doing this makes it easier to um, to interact with other tools. And then I have uh, two picks. My first is a new podcast that I just started. As if I don't have enough podcasts already. Um, but it's called React 30. It's a new 30-minute podcast by me, Ryan Florence, and Michael Jackson. And our tagline is, we will waste no more than 30 minutes of your time. Um, and so uh, check that out. We just recorded our first episode. And if you're diligent, you can find it on, on YouTube. Um, but uh, yeah, we're waiting on iTunes right now. So um, it should come out pretty soon. And then Webpack Validator. We talked about that earlier. But it's, it's like totally invaluable. I recommend you use it. Okay, great. Um, let's go with uh, Johannes. Oh, you got me. <laughs> I was not pre prepared for that. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, one tip I have is uh, that you should not um, abstract your Webpack configs or any configs. I think um, it's very valuable to have um, one file. Um, and you, you have the overview of all the keys. So I've seen projects where people um, try to abstract and reuse config parts. But um, personally, I think it's better to copy and paste them, because then you, you see all the um, config stuff um, in one file. And um, the other tip is that uh, yeah, learning a completely different programming language uh, upgrades your programmer brain. <laughs> So um, in January, I've, <laughs> uh, I've learned a little bit of Haskell. Um, and I can uh, recommend, uh, yeah, the, I think the most uh, popular tutorial about Haskell. It's uh, learnuahaskell.com. And uh, it's, so, it, it's so nicely written. And um, uh, before, uh, before this tutorial, I didn't get the, the syntax. And after that, it was uh, really nice. And I think, uh, especially when you want to learn uh, functional programming, I think uh, Haskell is a tough but uh, a good start. <laughs> and uh, my pick is, um, yeah, I've, uh, I'm using uh, the set um, shell uh, script. It's called set.sh. And uh, it's so good to jump uh, between uh, folders. So uh, it memorizes uh, the recent folders you've been. And uh, you only have to uh, type three letters and hit Enter, and you're back in that folder. So um, yeah, I can recommend that. <laughs> cool. Uh, thanks. You home. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I was just checking a thing or two. But, uh, yeah, so tips. Uh, there's always something to learn. So it's like you cannot go without a, without learning anything, and especially when it comes to front-end. And I guess based on that, I would say it's worth it to kind of spend time on learning to learn. You have to kind of figure out the best place for you to learn. It might be videos, books, or, or doing things, or explaining things, but you have to find those ways. Because it will, it's like the core skill of a developer. It's the learning skill, at least, the way I see it. Uh, 
I think it, it's worth it to spend time on fundamentals. So you have to understand what's behind these systems. Because if you understand that, it's going to be easier to move, move around. So something new comes around, you, you can pick it up because you understand what why it works. Uh, about picks, I have two picks. Webpackbin.com, uh, you will get link to it later, but it's, it's basically a environment on the web that has Webpack set up. So you can just start coding React or something, and it just works. And there's another pick. It's a tool known as AutoChamp. So AutoChamp, it works in terminal, and it's basically a tool that learns your usage. So you hit, you you kind of go to directories and so on. You can say J and something, and it just jumps there. So you have to use it to while, but I mean it saves tons of time. So I guess that that's it for me. Cool. Thanks. Um, and Sean. All right. Um, so my links are. Uh, you don't know JavaScript. It's an incredible resource. Uh, I think it's on GitHub also by Getify or Kyle Simpson. Um, it has probably some of the most complete understanding of uh, ES6 and JavaScript in general. So if you're wanting to learn JavaScript more or just trying to understand some of these new uh, patterns that are being used, it's a great resource. Um, also, uh, wanting to I was wrong about TypeScript and here is why. Uh, it's a great article, kind of apologetic about um, the benefits of using, you know, a, one of these type supersets that are floating around uh, the JavaScript world these days. Um, it, for me, I can, you know, take a look at it and kind of maybe uh, weigh it over. I think just like um, Johanna said, is that learning new languages, whether they're similar or not, are going to help you understand contextually how to apply, you know, engineering principles across the board. And I think so. Um, take a look at TypeScript. And then uh, also, uh, it'll be posted as uh, my Google Docs slide for uh, Angular plus Webpack. Um, and it's really just about Webpack's core fundamentals, which we talked about. So loaders, plugins, entry and output, how they work together, and, and kind of give somebody the ability to um, understand the fundamentals for once. Uh, you know, what's cool about open source is that there are a whole bunch of people out there that make these great boilerplates, but and, and people use them, but they don't know how it works. So they may use Webpack, but they don't understand it. And so um, I, my my slides are are you know trying to accomplish that is that you can walk away understanding the core principles, and then be able to you know hack away anything and use anything to uh, you know with Webpack and and make it work. Um, and then my tips are when you're struggling on a problem. Uh, just take two steps back and ask, what am I trying to accomplish? Is this the best avenue? And if it's not, what else can we try? I think so many times, you know, myself as well, as we were repetitively trying to fix this one solution and, and sometimes just getting up and walking away and uh, taking a step back and just kind of understanding what's going on really, you know, is refreshing. And then uh, a second one that I, you know, I always recommend to people, and when you're, troublesho you're troubleshooting something and you don't understand or you can't find an answer, look in the source code. You're going to find all sorts of little hidden gems and awesome features that you never knew existed, uh, like Webpack has Electron and Atom targets. That's in the source code. You can find it. Uh, there's all sorts of crazy awesome things uh, that, that you can learn just by looking at the source code uh, you know, before asking somebody for help. I like to say... Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with ever asking somebody, but troubleshoot first and ask last. And somewhere in the middle, you should put reading the source code. 
And then um, I think my picks were um, Midwest Dev Chat. So, you know, I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska. I don't know about the rest of the technologists around here, but um, if anybody out there is looking for a great community to uh, uh, to look for help or uh, connections, especially in the Midwest, you don't have to. You can go to www.midwestdevchat.com and uh, join our Slack group. And then uh, the Webpack Closure Compiler. So uh, instead of using Uglify.js, uh, you can always use uh, Closure Compiler to remove some of that dead code, and so that's been really useful. And then um, Angular, Angular Class has an Angular 2 Webpack Starter. So you should take a look at their... Uh, organization, uh, especially Angular developers, if you're wanting, if you understand the principles and want to take it to the next level, there's a lot of great design patterns using Webpack that um, are very useful. Cool, thanks. That was that was a lot. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. A lot of really good resources. Uh, and now Tobias. Yeah, um, my links are. Uh, oh, um, the Webpack two um, guest from me. And um, um, a link to Rollup.js, which um, initially brings makes the tree shaking popular. And my tips are: um, try to use um, explicit uh, dependencies. Don't um, use globals. Don't use the provide plugin for stupid stuff. And so on. So um, try to use Kotlin because it's it's just cool. Yeah. Um, 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 and the tip is um, you can try Webpack 2. It's pretty stable if you don't mind a small little bugs. But um, if you like a fixed version, um, it's pretty. It's could it should be stable enough to to compile your um, Xmas 6 modules. And there's a um, I have a slides repo. At, at my GitHub account, it's there are uh, some cool tips um, about uh, advanced Webpack tips about stuff like uh, everything. Yeah. Um, and I, I, had, I have a cool guest about caching and Webpack. It's linked here. Um, and if, if you want to know everything about Webpack, you can look at the, the document configuration documentation page. Uh, there's everything, every configuration option. And it's a good idea to uh, just skim over it or read something, and uh, you find cool stuff there. Um, and uh, my advice is uh, to don't use boilerplates but from other people, but uh, to read them and uh, find good ideas and how they do stuff, but um, don't try to start with the boilerplates. It's it's too easy, and um, you, 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 you just don't understand the concepts and uh, don't le learn uh, how Webpack works, and so it's better to, to read them, but uh, you build your own um, boilerplate. Um, also, a cool link is the Webpack examples folder in the, in the Webpack repo. Um, there are Many examples for special cases about uh, code splitting or a comments chunk or something like that. Um, um, also, um, I, I can advise to if you have a pretty big um, application, you could or you should use targeted builds. It's um, uh, you can do multiple builds and uh, target. Uh, 
um, the builds for your user example only include uh, the language you are targeted for and serve the the correct bundle to the to the users. And um, a cool tool for building targeted um, builds and to build multiple webpack configuration in parallel is uh, the parallel webpack plugin, which um, uh, just uses um, threads or processes to um, to to build multiple configurations in parallel. It's cool. Um, and my picks are the, the analyze tool of webpack. Um, you can use it. You can put your stats file into the analyze tool, and it gives you hints and uh, visualizes your modulo tree and the chunk tree. And it's pretty um, cool to find uh, weak spots in your, your your defensive graph. And because I also want to advise uh, to pick another language, uh, there's Rust. 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 It's cool and um, it's interesting concepts and um, you can read the documentation. It's pretty fun. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. So it was everything. Awesome. Yeah, that was lots of really, really good tips and picks. Uh, those will be on the website. Uh, this might take me a while. Uh, <laughs> but they, no, they should be on the website in like 24 hours, hopefully, so whenever I can get to it. Uh, so I'm going to wrap us up. Uh, thanks, everyone, so much for coming. This was a really interesting conversation about Webpack, one of the, my favorite technologies. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to our silver sponsor, Trader, uh, Trading Technologies. They are hiring, so check them out. Um, if you, you or your company is interested in sponsoring, um, then uh, check out the website. There's a link there to, uh, to sponsor. And even if you're an individual who wants to sponsor, we have this uh, appreciation-level sponsorship that's like really cheap and stuff. And, People have done it, and we appreciate you. Uh, and then if you have suggestions for the show, um, for topics or guests or both, go to suggest.javascriptair.com, and that will take you to a form. Um, and then feedback.javascriptair.com will take you to another form where you can give us feedback on this show or future show or, or um, past shows that we've had or the entire show in general. Um, really appreciate that feedback. And then uh, we do have an email uh, newsletter that goes out after the shows, like normally the day after. Uh, go to jsair.io slash email and uh, you can get uh, uh, like show notes and highlights from the show directly in your inbox. And then, as always, remember we are a weekly show. I'm not sure uh, what next week's show is going to be quite yet. It's not nailed down, but uh, it will be great. Check us out next week, same time, same place. And follow us on Google+, uh, plus Facebook, and Twitter to keep up with the latest. And with that, I think we can say goodbye. So thanks, everyone. This is great. Bye. Thank you.